The Lord be with you. If you can hear the sound of my voice, clap one time. If you can hear the sound of my voice, clap two times. If you can hear the sound of my voice, clap three times. If you can hear the sound of my voice, clap four times. Very good. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for um, bringing all of us here to worship you, to learn your word. Lord, we, we ask prayers on those who could not be with us today. Keep them safe in their travels. Keep them healthy. And um, Lord, just continue to bless them and us and continue to pour out your grace and your mercy on all of us. And we ask these things in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Father George. It's not hot. It's not hot. No, it's not hot. But mine just scooted. Okay. Welcome. Thank Welcome, you. Welcome, Father George. Thank you. So today, we are going to learn all about our new priest associate, who is Father George Hinchliffe. So let's give him a hand first. Ha-ha. You can take the children's minister out of the children, but you can't. Father George, if I were to open a book called The Story of Father George, where would it begin? Wow. Well, I would say that it would probably begin with a, uh, a cover page with a copyright date. <laughs> and that copyright date would be 1952. And I was, it would probably begin at a little parish over in Perry, Florida, which is about 50 miles south of Tallahassee. Uh, the parish name is St. James Episcopal Church. And I was baptized there at the age of about five months. And uh, I was baptized by a former rector here at this church. And his name was George Young. And he had just come to us at St. James Perry. Now, this is from my parents telling me the story. I have no recollection of it. Um, he had just come from seminary in New York, and I, we were, he came as a transitional deacon and was finally ordained, and I was his first baptism. <laughs> so, the Ice Age receded the following year. <laughs> But I would say that that would probably, uh, we lived just less than a block away from the church. I spent a lot of time there uh, as a young man. Uh, they had sidewalks, which Perry didn't have many of, and I would go up there and ride on my bicycle. 
but I was also there a lot during worship and youth and during my formative time. Uh, that's where the book would begin. It would be a, a delightful chapter, um, which I recall very fondly. Very nice. Um, tell us a little bit about, we're going to jump ahead to 2022. Or actually, no, let's take, let's take another step back. Um, we want to know all about how you met your lovely wife and your family and whatever you would like to, to, to share about that. Well, my family, my father was in the sawmill business, and we had a large cypress mill in Perry, Lee Tidewater Cypress, and it was beginning to wind down. They shipped all the logs up from the Everglades, and they were cut into lumber in Perry. And uh, cypress was important in those days because there weren't polymers and plastic, like you see rail cars carrying caustic chemicals. Those all used to be lined in cypress because the cypress resisted the, um, the acids and the corrosive chemicals. But all that was winding down, and uh, we closed the mill in Perry, and my father opened another mill in South Florida, and we moved down there, and I went from what I thought was rural Taylor County to an even rural, more rural place in South Florida. Um, went to a high school called Alva High School. And I went there to register with my father, and they asked me where I was from, and I said, I'm from Perry. And they said, oh, you're a city boy. <laughs> Alba. The town was Alba? The town was Alba. So where is, where is that? <laughs> it's between Fort Myers and LaBelle on the Caloosahatchee River. And it was at Alba High School that I met my lovely wife. We were high school sweethearts. Uh, we were married uh, at the beginning of my junior year in college. She had just finished her AA. And we moved to Tallahassee uh, and lived in Alumni Village. If there are any Seminoles here, you know about Alumni Village. It was old student housing. But it was quite adequate. And uh, we just celebrated our 50th anniversary this year. Oh, yes. And I was remarking to one of you this morning that she trained me well. So, and this is my wife, Mary Ellen, in the back, shaking her head. So, Father George, when... Or how, or how did you hear your first call to ordained ministry? Can I put that on pause? Just yes. As, on the previous question, we have two children, uh, a daughter who's an attorney. She lives in Ponte Vedra, and my son is a, a detective sergeant, supervising sergeant uh, in Collier County, Naples, Florida. And we have five um, grandchildren, four granddaughters, one grandson. So I just wanted to go back and yes. give, give that little bit of... One is a, a senior at Baylor who lost last night. I haven't talked or texted 
<laughs> and one is a senior in high school down in Naples who will, to my chagrin, go, be going to the University of Florida most likely. Yeah. Yeah. Next go Gators. <laughs> um, now, to your yes. most recent question. Um, question my wife asks me all the time, this very question. And it's probably one of the most difficult things that I have to explain. And um, I'd like to take an roundabout way of getting there. You know, a lot of religious groups, particularly Reformed churches, Presbyterians, believe in um, um, predestination. predestination, yes. Um, and St. Augustine, uh, St. Augustine, uh, in the Roman Catholic Church also was a proponent of predestination. But as Anglicans, we're not so much. Uh, and I don't think that my call was predestined, um, but as, as Episcopalians, uh, we more believe in what's called concursus. And so rather than God planning out your life for you, in microscopic detail. What God, think of it, the Apostle Paul always was talking about the race well run or, or the race that's completed. And I like to think of concursus as being that way that God influences our lives. And imagine that you're the runner, I'm the runner, and I'm running the race and God is running right alongside of me. And he's talking to me. He says, okay, George, you need to pick up your pace a little bit. You need to be conscious about your breathing. Okay, you need to slow down a little bit. You know, and, and God is constantly giving us, giving me these directions through my life. Now, my ability to hear his instructions in, in this call, in this case, <clears throat> the question is called, I have to be able to hear him. And there's a lot of traffic going by in the streets. We live in a busy world. And we don't often hear <clears throat> excuse me, what it is our coach is telling us to do. And, and we might miss the fact, okay, pick up the pace, or, or you've got to breathe more consistently. Well, my first call that I probably heard was as a teenager being an acolyte, mowing the churchyard, hanging out with the coolest priest ever. Um, and uh, as a child, I remember, I mean, as a young man, I remember him. Um, and that was probably my first call. And then I fell in love, and I got a car, and I went away to college. And then we were in a hurry to get our career started, and I just couldn't hear God coaching me anymore. Not directly, you know pick up the pace. And I got to a point where I was getting ready to retire. And, you know, there's that voice. He's got a megaphone now, and he's shouting at me, <laughs> pick up the pace. And uh, broke that revelation to my wife, who said, wonderful, let's sell everything and move to seminary. <laughs> uh, so, um, she was wonderfully supportive, and we sold our home and our 144 fully mature pecan trees in Monticello, Florida, and we moved to Alexandria, Virginia, for some 
that was 15, 16 years ago. And what what did you do before you went when you before you retired the first time? What did you? Do? Well, I worked for the state of Florida, uh, and uh, I finished my career with the Department of Juvenile Justice. Um, I started out in um, St. Petersburg, Florida, as a juvenile court counselor, and um, held various positions in the juvenile justice system. Then Florida had this grand experience where they move, moved the child welfare system, that's abuse, neglect, um, and abandonment, and juvenile justice together into one agency. And I worked both sides of the house, both in child abuse and juvenile justice. I've run juvenile facilities around the state. Um, I was, for a while, district administrator in Tampa. Um, Finished my career as assistant secretary in Tallahassee, and uh, my wife and I built our retirement home in Monticello, and we were members of Christ Church Monticello, where my call really was, the foundation was cemented at that point, and they're the ones that sent me off to seminary. So do you ever consider your calling started when you were in the juvenile system? Because that's ministry in itself. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I think you were prepped before you went to seminary. I was going to ask that something along those lines. And what, what were you able to take from your um, career in juvenile justice? And how did that inform your experience in seminary? I don't know what the statistics are today. Uh, my guess would be that it's not much different than when I was in the system. 98% of the kids that get referred by a police agency that get arrested do not go on to be adult criminals. And I would say that's a remarkable number. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't get in trouble many times as juveniles, but essentially they grow out of it. And I am reminded that we are all sinners. And I hope more than 98% of us get to be in our Lord's presence um, in His kingdom. Um, and so I think... We'll, one of the hallmark things that I learned was that there is redemption and um, there are young people that I worked with that are pastors, um, that are business executives, um, and politicians. And I'm still in contact occasionally with some of them. Um, so, forgiveness and redemption. Amen to that. So, what what are your favorite topics on which to teach? I love history. My wife hates history. <laughs> I love 
history of the Bible, uh, church history. I love our Book of Common Prayer. Uh, and you don't want to get me started talking because I'll never shut up. See, she's not shaking her head. <laughs> but uh, those would be the topics that I, I, I think that I enjoy the most. I may not be best at, but that I have a passion for. Okay, along those lines, do you have, would you say you're more of an Old Testament guy or a New Testament guy? Did we forget the Apocrypha? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I um, Bishop N.T. Wright, a former Bishop of Durham, had, has an interesting metaphor for the two books. And he talks about the Spanish explorers loading up in boats, ships, and leaving Spain and traveling to the New World. And when they get to the New World, they disembark from their ships, they take their horses off the ships, they mount up on their horses, and they explore, and they conquer. Bishop Wright's metaphor is that that is a good metaphor for the way we should look at the Bible. The ships that came and brought the explorers to the New World were perfectly good. And the Spanish explorers didn't get off the ships and abandon them because they were bad, but they had served their purpose. And they sta the ships stayed because obviously they, they, they wanted that safety to go back. And they mounted on their horses and they explored because that was the way that the way forward for them as explorers. And I think the Old Testament was very important in preparing God's people for the reception of the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's valuable. And it did its job. And we should not subordinate it in any way. But the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the truth of His Word, and His presence here with us is what we should absolutely be focused on each and every day. So does that answer? I, think I would say so. Yes, absolutely. Okay, I like that. Kind of wasn't image. mine. It wasn't mine. I borrowed it. Yeah. <laughs> so, what is... So let's we'll, we'll look at New Testament. Um, what, what is your favorite, do you have a favorite thing to teach? I asked you about teaching, but is there a book that you love the best in the New Testament or Old Testament? And why? And can you teach us a little bit about maybe what that is? Let's talk about the Old Testament first. Um, when I was going off to seminary, they made me take the graduate record exam, GRE. Um, and I did really, really well in math and the algebra and trig questions on that test. I mean, off the charts, when I was not good in high school in math. And I'm in my interview with faculty team interviewing me to decide if they were going to admit me to Virginia Theological Seminary and the New Testament professor notes 
I scored off the chart in, in mathematics. And he asked me how that was going to help. And I said, well, there is a book of numbers after all. <laughs> He looked at me and he says, there's a place here for you. <laughs> but in, in the Old Testament, I think the, the five books of Moses, the first five books probably are resoundingly my favorites because they're the foundation of our faith. Um, I also very much like judges. Um, in the New Testament, uh, the Pauline scriptures the ones that are verifiably written by Paul and not a disciple of Paul uh, probably are my favorites. Uh, the letters to the church in Corinth um, probably because I see myself as a sinner being in Paul's congregation and uh, he's always shaking his finger at me. <laughs> and I need to have that finger shook at me occasionally and, and it's good for me to go and read. Uh, yeah. All right. Um, hmm. Should we open it up for questions? Would anybody like to ask Father George a question? This is Stump the Priest. I, I okay. This is not Stumping the Priest. Um, I have a great love of the Book of Common Prayer. I was not raised an Episcopalian. My husband was not raised an Episcopalian. But we're fascinated by the Book of Common Prayer because it seems like the writers were be able to, they were able to pull out the most significant, most beautiful passages for us to read in our daily life. But we've never studied the Book of Common Prayer. And you mentioned that you love it. It's got a lot of historical value. You know. So is there any chance that you or someone could have a group or the director's farm or that we would actually go in depth to the Book of Common Prayer? Well, is there a lot of is there any other interest in that? <coughs> Let's talk with Father Joe. And if it fits in his plan and his calendar. I would love to do that, and uh, we could have a really, really good time. You know, one of the things that you don't often realize about the Book of Common Prayer is that the Bible plagiarizes our Book of Common Prayer. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'd be delighted. But, but, I, I'm not familiar with Father Joe's calendar or what he's got planned, but as well, we'll let you do that. I'll, I'll do that. Other questions? You can remind them that the, the, book, the first book of Common Prayer was written before the King James Bible. Yes, it oh, was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. The um, the story of our church is that that the chaplain. Um, for um, King Henry VIII uh, was a gentleman by the name of Cranmer. And he uh, was just a young priest, uh, kind of wet behind the ears. His family was prominent, so he got this position as the king's chaplain. 
Well, Henry is trying to figure out global politics, trying to get rid of this woman that he's married to, and try to secure his own political power. And he's wondering what's going on in Europe uh, with some protests that are going on over the church. And so he sends Cramner to study with this rebel priest called Luther. And so Cramner went to uh, Germany, studied under Luther and Luther's sidekick, a guy by the name of Langton, and then came back. And so Henry says, what you got for me? So Cramner unloads everything that he's learned from Luther, from Langton, and Henry says, that's perfect. We'll use it. Because the Pope had already made Henry defender of the faith and head of the church in England. And that was the split. Uh, the Church of England was founded. Cranmer largely writes the first book of Common Prayer. Um, and the King James Bible, which I tell my uh, Baptist colleagues, was written for the Anglican king to um, be, how can I say, politically acceptable. Um, they went together. Anyway, I won't belabor the point. More questions? Questions? Um, well, it's not a question, but uh, somewhere of a, of a correction. You said your wife hates history? <laughs> what a, she hates me to talk about it. Oh, you know? <laughs> Surely she likes the history that you have. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Let me qualify it. I just hear it. Tell me <laughs> And I just say one set of encyclopedias that I can go to. <laughs> I mean, he, he just loves, he loves his And I don't hate it. <laughs> <laughs> you just know it better than most. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, okay. Yes. To tag along with what you said, we've, we've not, we've only been in the Episcopal Church for almost a year now. And we too are very interested in the history, but also uh, the different liturgies that you have, the, the colors, the, um, the calendar, the, you know, I, I've, I've joked with Father Joe, we need a, an Episcopal church, you know, for dummies. <laughs> so, so I, I would kind of say that, you know, it would dovetail into that. We know the, our liturgical year, which is color-coded, there's a great, um, you can go on YouTube and watch it, Robin Williams. Um, for those of you that know, he's an Episcopalian, was an Episcopalian. And he wrote uh, the 10 reasons to be an Episcopalian, Episcopalian uh, which I don't remember all of them, but some of uh, one of them was the, the liturgical year is color-coded. Uh, you, you can get wine on Sunday. You don't have to check your brain at the door. Uh, but I encourage you to go and, and watch his routine about the Episcopal Church. It's cute. Um, but our liturgical year, um, 
is critical to our worship and using the prayer book in that year. When you think that our year is soon going to begin uh, with the first Sunday in Advent, and we begin to prepare our hearts for the coming of, of the Messiah, coming of Emmanuel, coming of the Christ child, welcoming God into the world. And we prepare during that season. And then all of a sudden, Christmas is here for 12 days. You can listen to Christmas carols and wish people Merry Christmas. Even after Christmas, it really bugs them. <laughs> so we have 12 days of Christmas, and we, have, we receive this gift of the Christ child. And then comes Epiphany, and we discover who this Christ child really is. And then we walk with this child, now a young man, all the way to Jerusalem and his crucifixion. And then we learn during the season of Easter that as Christ is raised to new life in God's kingdom, the promise is, so too shall we be raised to new life in God's kingdom. And then we receive the Holy Spirit and we begin the longest season of the year, the green season, which we're now in, where we walk in Christ's footsteps and we learn how to be like Christ, how to be reflexive Christians by practicing time again, time again the things that we learn from our Savior so that it becomes second nature to us. That when we're confronted with somebody hostile in the world, our reflex response is love. And that's the season that we're in now. So, when you wrap the whole year up, it's God's salvation story for us. And we live through His salvation story each and every liturgical year. And the prayer book helps us do that. Other questions? Give this back to you. <laughs> Other questions? So what were you doing before you came here? What fill that gap? I was retired. <laughs> uh, I was uh, I retired as rector of uh, St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Live Oak uh, one month before the coronavirus became a big deal uh, in early 2020. Um, like most of you, uh, my wife and I pretty much I were isolated from the world largely during that first year. Um, Last uh, year, in 2021, the bishop asked me to, uh, if I would, be the interim rector in San Francis in the field down in Ponte Vedra, uh, where I went and served until um, Justin, um, their new priest, arrived. And I went back into retirement. And oh, a few weeks ago, Joe gave me a phone call and said, how about we have lunch? <laughs> yeah, and I did it. He bought me lunch. And, and here I am. He made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And we're glad about it. Yes. 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 Other questions? I have one. Amy. Oh, we are so thankful. We are so thankful you said 
you said yes, you were willing to help at that lunch. I thought he followed Joe, saved his prayer. <laughs> Probably my favorite thing is pastoral visitations. Um, I enjoy the connection. I enjoy going. You know, a lot of people think when you become a member of the clergy, you go to the hospital and you're bringing Christ to that person in the hospital bed, or if they're at home or a nursing home or senior living facility, that you're bringing Christ to them. That's not the case at all. Most often, I find when I go to a hospital room or I go to visit someone at an assisted living facility, I find Christ there. And while I may enrich their lives by the visit, they enrich and restore my faith. And so there's a, a mutual, um, and I love that. That's my favorite. Um, preaching's okay. I, 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 I can, I've never had anybody throw a tomato at me. <laughs> I, I was uh, um, only one time did people leave when I was preaching, <laughs> and it was because a tear gas uh, canister had been set off in a lady's purse, and people jumped up and were leaving. And I'm going, oh, oh my God. <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> and then Mary Ellen comes up front and tells me. Tear gas, and about that time it reached me. <laughs> or I guess it was pepper spray. And I very much enjoy teaching. With your experience in working with youth in your previous life, what about uh, working with teenagers and so on in, in this current position? Well, I, I went to youth group last Wednesday night and met some of them. They weren't all there. And uh, I was renewed at the end of the evening. Um, and uh, you've got, you're blessed with a wonderful group of young people. I would think you could tell them a lot of stories that might <laughs> <laughs> encourage you. <laughs> I, I don't think any of the ones that I met are in any danger no. of, of being in the juvenile justice system. Other questions? No? No? Well, I have... Welcome. Yes. Thank you. Welcome. We want to finish early? Sure. I stumped the no. I want to stump the deacon. No. I like how you turn that around. I, I would just uh, ask that you continue to be patient with me for a while as I learn your names and I try and memorize them. Uh, keeping in mind that sometimes I go into the next room and I don't remember why I went there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so just just if you would be patient with me and you as a congregation have a such a deep rich spiritual history and foundation I hope to to learn and grow from you and uh, so nourish me as you get an opportunity and um, one of your parishioners came up to me after the, the service and said that um, they were disappointed that I didn't mention 9-11 this morning. It was something that I had prayed about and had decided that I wasn't going to mention 9-11. Um, but I am at the next services. So um, I, I am trainable. <laughs> what are you going to say about it? <laughs> Uh, the prayers for the people and for the dead is where I'm going to, to place it uh, in the liturgy. And I'm also going to pray for um, Elizabeth and her party as well. Yeah. Bob did a good job with playing the yeah. anthem. I think it was the anthem. God save as, the king. As, as or we queen. Left this morning. Yeah, yeah that was really. Is that two to one? When, when my grandfather came to this country, uh, Theodore Roosevelt was running for president. And uh, he went to a rally, and they played that song. And everybody stood up. And my grandfather was just beaming with pride that they would play God Save the Queen <laughs> for him. <laughs> and then they explained to him that, that wasn't it at all. So here we have the bob o at the organ and piano, and you never know what he's going to throw out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Father George, would you pray us out, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to come together and share fellowship, to share food, we pray that you be with us as we go into this week. And we pray that we're able to see the, your face in everyone that we meet this week. And we pray that everyone that we meet this week may see your face in us. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you. That wasn't too bad. No.